Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in my studios here in South Bend, Indiana, and sitting across from me in the virtual studios at his home in beautiful Portland, Oregon, is the man who first used the term Kleenex as a generic term for a nose blower, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. <laughs> Hello, Deacon. Hey, Ken. And I'm still waiting for royalties, by the way, from all that. So. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you put all that work into coining a beautiful phrase, and next thing you know, it's like nobody appreciates your, your hard work. Ugh, <laughs> what a bummer. But that's not what you always put all your hard work into doing. I know, Deacon, you have written many books. And again, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, your latest published book here real soon uh, about our life of service, the uh, about being a deacon, and in which you chatted with a lot of your f- uh, fellow brother deacons and, and uh, reflected deeply on the church's teaching on the ministry of service. But you also have written other books, uh, some of which people will have read, uh, particularly on masculinity and on being a man and a, and a husband and, and a man of God. Um, and that is a book I know that I've read and, and enjoyed a lot. Uh, that book, when did you publish your first, your first kind of book like that? Yeah. When so behold that? the man, uh, Catholic vision of male spirituality came out in 2015. We actually debuted it at the world meeting of families. It was held in Philadelphia. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So that's when we, that's when we launched it. And that was the, again, that was the first one. And uh, I have, I have uh, five books now, and uh, the sixth one is uh, at the editor. should be coming out wow. in the fall uh, of this year. So uh, Catholic Response to Racism. So, yeah. And so now um, that that book is done and, uh, you know, so what's your next one? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to get through Lent first because <laughs> I have a lot. <laughs> right? I have a lot. Uh, there's a lot. I, I mean, I'm just I'm just pedal to the metal for the next several months. You know, a lot of engagements are being made up because of cancellations due to COVID back sure. in 2020 and sure. early 21. So I'm, I'm making all those up. It seems it seems all at the same time. Wow. <laughs> that mean, that's what it seems like to me. But so probably I, I won't be writing anything else or starting another writing project until the summer at the earliest. OK, uh, I just I just have to really focus on these missions and conferences and retreats and and other things that I'm doing. And like I said, I mentioned that I have a project with Scott Hahn, who I got a chance to talk to on the cruise last month about our project that we're working on together. And uh, so he's very happy with uh, the progress I've made on it so far. And uh, like I said, I'll talk about that later. <laughs> it's, right, right. it's not at a point right now where, uh, you know, publicly we talk about this, but it's very exciting. I know uh, that, of course, because we chat via the Internet, that you can't actually smell me, but that's bated breath that you smell right there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So how are things going for you to ND? Uh, things are good. We are uh, just we're hoping that here in a few weeks we get to take a group of pilgrim students uh, to the Holy Land. So that's uh, mm. um, we're keeping our fingers crossed that uh, that that plans remain uh, viable and that uh, no kind of, you know, medical scares or things like that happen, especially with any any new variants uh, of COVID or anything like that. So that's kind of what we what we've got our eye on the prize right now. 
um, <clears throat> 45 students or 43 students uh, uh, on pilgrimage is, is a wonderful opportunity to you know, to walk in the steps of Christ and the apostles, to to read the fifth gospel, as as they say, you know, um, and it's it's a beautiful opportunity to reconnect with our faith and with um, that uh, the the very land that Christ Himself hallowed. So I'm really looking forward to that. Hope hope that that uh, continues and keep us in your prayers, if you will. And of course, for for all people, that uh, if you get a chance to make a trip like that, it it will absolutely change your approach, your understanding, and your appreciation for the beauty of salvation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm, I can't wait to go back myself. I'm supposed to be, make, again, making up a pilgrimage from 2020 to the Holy Land and to Abaramagal in May. Okay. And so I'm, I'm hoping that that, will, that trip will go. Yeah. You know, we, we, uh, we have enough people signed up. We just have to uh, hope that Israel's open. <laughs> You know, right, so, right, right. So, so we'll see, and I, and I hope the students do get to go from Notre Dame because I know they've been disappointed because I know the March for Life they didn't get a chance to go to that. So, yeah, um, especially for the seniors, you know, uh, this is their uh, last kind of last opportunity. So I hope they get a chance to do some exciting things before they move on to the next phase of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I heard from uh, one of our senior or one of our students that's going and, and she's like, when am I going to get a chance to do something like this where somebody else pays for it again? You know, yeah, that's so, true. And that's so the true. beauty of, of, of uh, you know, the support of our donors and our, our benefactors is uh, to actually this particular trip also is meant to help our students integrate what they learn in the classroom with their faith formation and with their with their vocational understanding that doesn't necessarily happen in the classroom but you know that we at the De Nicola Center are delighted to be able to offer and to to model to our students uh, through our Soren Fellows um, student formation program and so we hope it happens so that's the that's the goal yeah. I just want to just real quick acknowledge, I forgot to do this last time, to acknowledge the passing of Alice von Hildebrand. Um, yes. You know, just, uh, I mean, she's became famous at first because of her husband, uh, right. Dietrich von Hildebrand, but but she was quite a formidable philosopher in her own right. And if you have YouTube, I, if people are not sure who she is, I just want a little flavor of her. There's a YouTube channel called the Hildebrand Project. H-I-L-D-E-B-R-A-N-D, Hildebrand Project. Just head there and just take a look at a video of Alice von Hildebrand and get a sense of her approach to theology and to the faith and just a, a, a beautiful soul, you know, just a, a, a wonderful philosopher that I've gained uh, a lot from. And um, you know, I just want to acknowledge her passing and the repose of her soul, you know. Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought that up, you know, and it's kind of interesting because I, I often thought of Alice and Dietrich von Hildebrand as a couple whose own experience of the beauty of the sacrament of their marriage informed and drove a lot of their their writing and their reflection. And it's crazy because I also think about other couples like Jacques and Raisa Maritain, who again were philosophers who actually together discovered the Catholic faith, and then that actually formed them and their appreciation for the, the again, their own marriage, the sacrament of their marriage, um, had its fruitfulness in the writing of Jacques and, and Raisa uh, 
in their own philosophy, in their own particular areas, as well as then in their practical, more popular writings as well, you know, reflections. And so, yeah, the, the von Hildebrands um, and the, the Maritans, and, and I'm sure that there are other couples that, that aren't coming to mind right now, but that have really lived out their Christian vocation in their beautiful, important work, but again, have been overflowing of the graces of the sacrament of, of uh, marriage that they have in their lives, too. Yeah, amen. Well, Deacon, we have been chatting uh, about the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the Church, a document passed by uh, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops in November of 2021 to help the Church appreciate and reappropriate and re-understand the power of the gift of the Eucharist and our proper response to it. Last week, you said something that really started a thread in my brain, uh, and that is that you asked this kind of rhetorical question, why this document, why now? And you talked about the um, kind of recent Pew research that has shown that a great portion of Catholics don't actually believe what the Church teaches to be true about the Eucharist, how Christ is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, uh, the, the real presence. One other thing that I thought of why this document right now is this is also our bishops doing exactly what Pope John Paul II called for when he said there needed to be a springtime of evangelization and a new evangelization, which is aimed at those who were formed in the faith, but who no longer understand and no longer believe what they were formed to understand. Maybe we didn't do a great, completely great job of forming our Catholic brothers and sisters in the first place to understand what the Eucharist is. That's what the bishops are doing right here in this document, is helping, again, to unpack and share the beauty of the Eucharist. So it's a practice of the new evangelization aimed at us, us who should already believe this, should already understand it, but who may be discovering it again for the first time, as it were. Yes, exactly. So we talk about the uh, the state of grace, right? We're, we're yeah. not talking about like, oh, yeah, is that is that next to Virginia? Right, or the state of mortal sin. You're like, oh, which one is that? I don't want to live there. <laughs> and it's true. You don't want to live there. Yeah. <laughs> So what it is goes, a state? Yeah. Yeah. So the state comes up, it's ammonium in Latin, which means the state or condition of something. So pandemonium, uh-huh. uh, you know, pan was the god of chaos and disorder. So right. pandemonium is the state or condition of chaos. Okay. Um, matrimonium, matrimony is the state or condition of motherhood. Matri is the mother. So we talk about the state of grace. We're talking about the condition of grace. Okay. And so we're, we're not talking about a physical place. We're talking about kind of where you are in your relationship with God. What condition is your soul in, if you will? You know, okay. are, yeah. are you in good shape? You know, which means you're, you're in the, that can, state of grace. You are living in God's love. You're fully cooperating and allowing God to form you and shape you into the person he created you to be. So you can truly be fully yourself. Or are you going down the road to, you know, uh, what was Father Larry Richard said, the song that sung over and over in hell, I did it my way. <laughs> oh, know? man. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So are you, are you not in a state of grace? You're not in a condition of God's love because you're in a state of myself. You know, I'm the center of all meaning in existence, not yeah. God. I'm the center. And God's just out there. And 
yeah, God is love and all that, da, 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 but that doesn't, so I can skip mass or I, it doesn't really impact my life every day. You know, that, that kind of thing. And we, and I think too many of us Christians bought into that lie of the secular culture. And once again, the timeliness of this document on the Eucharist by the bishops, because I think it's a beautiful way to, to help form our consciences so that we can desire to more intimacy with the Lord, to be deeper in communion with him, right? That very uh, beautiful Catholic word uh, of being in communion with Christ and in the Eucharist. You know, we look at paragraph 48, you know, they quote from something the, doc, the bishops have said before, um, you know, if a Catholic in his or her professional life were knowingly and obstinately to reject the defined doctrines of the church, again, there, what you talked about last time, Ken, knowingly and obstinately. So for, for a mortal sin, um, it's full knowledge and deliberate consent of the will. I am freely choosing to say no to what the church definitively teaches about this. Because why? Because I want to do something. And so we rationalize our sin. You know, we, well, I'm not going to do it because I think the church is unreasonable in this area, or I don't like the Pope, or I think they're just wrong. Plus, after all, this says you have to follow your conscience. You know, this is not the Jiminy Cricket conference. Let your conscience be your guide. When, when the conscience is leading you away from truth, objective truth, not the truth that you define for yourself, but the truth that comes from God, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And many times Jesus challenges us and makes us a little bit uncomfortable with what right. he's, because what he's saying is countercultural, you know, but we want to be loved and accepted by the culture, but that's not going to get us to heaven. So some really deep things to ponder here as we think about our relationship to the Eucharist and to the church. Absolutely. I mean, and this is, whereas you, you mentioned before, you know, somebody who is publicly known to be at odds with the church and, and to be teaching, proclaiming, maybe legislating um, that which is contrary to the church's teaching, um, that when that person walks then up for communion, it causes scandal because it tells me it tells me as somebody watching this that that person right there, even though they clearly don't believe what the church teaches about all sorts of things, they are going to go there, go up and receive Holy Communion, which puts me in communion with them, which puts me as complicit with them in a way, um, because we share are sharing the same Eucharist. And fortunately for us, the church, again, the bishops calling us to conversion, calling us to embrace the truths of the faith as lived in the experience of communion, as lived in the experience of people who gather around the same altar, who worship God, who then are nourished by God, are also calling us to be aware that we are should examine that conscience and that we should, if we find ourselves at odds with the church, with God, with the, the body of Christ, we should seek reconciliation and Again, as they say in paragraph 50, we should not despair ever, even if we find ourselves in this state of broken communion, in this condition of essentially loneliness, because where I have put myself at the forefront, um, we should never despair because it is the Lord who in his mercy first reached out to us, as St. Paul says, in mercy, God first reached out to us, though we were sinners. And he has given us a remedy, and that is the sacrament of reconciliation, which truly does 
put us back into communion with one another. Yeah, that's so true. And because it's the unity, what makes us one that Christ talked about in John's gospel, you know, he, he desired for us to be one. And it's the Eucharist that brings us together as one. It's not what happens in the culture. Um, what happens, I mean, they're thinking with the like mindset, but it's a very subjective mindset. It's not the mindset that brings together. It's actually a mindset that, that, that tears apart and rends yes. asunder yes. because everybody's their own authority. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's their own authority. So it's like, uh, it's like just, you know, Justice Kennedy and the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision that speaks about at the heart of liberty is the ability to define for one's own self, you know, what, what truth is. I mean, that is ultimately destructive. It means we share n- nothing in common except the fact that we are self-defined. This is unfortunately the great sin of, you know, at the, at the founding of America too, you know, ultimately is, is this individual rugged individual expressive individualism, I think is the, is the term that gets used. I know it's the term that, uh, that, uh, my, my, uh, colleague and friend and boss, uh, Professor O. Carter Sneed writes about in his book, What It Means to Be Human. Expressive individualism is at the core of um, kind of a flawed understanding of, of human anthropology and a flawed understanding of what it means to be a created being in the image and likeness of God. Yeah, exactly. And often, you know, in our, in our weakness, we want to take the easy way out, you know, yeah. because it's so easy to go to, to, to follow the dictates of the culture. And it's sometimes not so easy because why? Because our faith is the cross. You know, Paul says, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we, we can't live, um, you know, just a life of, of, of pleasure and just seeking things that the, what was that? Uh, Epicurus. Or that, that, the Epicurus yeah. was the philosopher who thought that back in the time of, of Caesar, um, you know, and actually he was an enemy of the state. Um, and now we're talking about a real estate, the country here. <laughs> right, 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 right. Arrest Rome is why? Because Caesar saw himself as a god. Remember, there was a pantheon of gods. And so, you know, um, he really put himself at odds because he believed he didn't believe in anything supernatural. He didn't think anything beyond the created world. So his whole thing was just be a good person, just live, just be good, you know, seek those things that give you pleasure, minimize those things that give you pain. And that and, and have and have a bunch of friends. That was Epicurean. I mean, that's very much the thinking that's going on in the culture today. Um, but be, with but without anything to unify that, right? Um, then everybody defines for themselves what it means to be good. You know, so I can have an affair and cheat on my wife, but you know what? It's not hurting anybody. So it's good that I'm not hurting anybody. Because right? they don't find out about it, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, I mean, you yeah. can rationalize any kind of sin, any kind of b- behavior, um, and because it's not rooted in anything um, deep. You know, it's not rooting in anything that that's solid. That's why Jesus says, "If you follow my teachings, you're like a person who built their house on on a strong, solid foundation. If not, if if you don't build it on on the foundation of Christ, what happens? You get you get washed away. And that's what's happened to our young people." They are washed away. Their house, the, the ground beneath the foundation of their lives are eroded away by more relativism and by the woke culture and by deplatforming and all these other things that the culture is using basically to destroy our faith. 
Yeah. And all, and what underlies all those is the the statement, I need to define my own truth, right? Ultimately, it comes back to that expressive individualism that under that undermines communion with one another. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, section D here, or part D of this section, is, is food for the journey. The Eucharist is that which feeds us, which nourishes us, which, so we've already talked about how it heals us. Now we're going to talk about how it actually helps us get on our pilgrim journey. So they say that uh, the growth in Christian life needs the nourishment of Eucharistic communion, the bread for our pilgrimage until the moment of death when it will be given to us as viaticum. Viaticum is that that, that which goes with you, to, to go with, um, is Eucharist received at the, at the you know, extreme of life at, at the end. That is that which carries you through. It's that last little nibble before you taste the bread of life in heaven at the heavenly banquet. Um, and the bishops here write about various um, American and, well, first, young saints, young blesseds and saints that have been have relied upon the Eucharist as models for us. So they speak about Blessed Carlo Acutis in paragraph 52, the young Italian teenager who created a wonderful um, uh, a display, a, a traveling display that I've seen at, at my own parish of uh, Eucharistic miracles around the world. And he did this because he himself was sick and couldn't go to the various uh, Eucharistic miracle sites. Uh, and so he started to catalog them and made a beautiful internet website a website that uh, is devoted to the Eucharistic miracles. Uh, and again, then some of that now is a traveling um, display that makes its way around the, the United States. Uh, and uh, we had it at uh, my parish, St. Joseph, uh, uh, before COVID. Uh, and it was a wonderful opportunity to see these wonderful, the miracle of Lanciano and, you know, the uh, uh, Bolsena and various, various um, uh, miracles surrounding the Eucharist. And that was out of his love for the Eucharist proper. Um, he also then writes about Saint, uh, the bishops write in paragraph 53 about St. Jose Sanchez, Sanchez del Rio, uh, who was a Mexican teenager who um, had the Eucharist smuggled into him uh, when he was in prison uh, for being publicly Catholic. This was during the Mexican Revolution when the church was definitely, uh, you know, illegal. It was uh, the, the church was persecuted and um, all Jose Sanchez del Rio had to do was to renounce his faith and they would have let him free but he refused to do so. And it was the Eucharist smuggled into his, his cell that actually nourished him until his, the point of his martyrdom when he was actually killed by the, the Mexican government. Um, these, are, these are wonderful examples to our young people of the power of the Eucharist to build your life around and to help give your life true meaning, meaning of love, and to be a sign of love for others. You know, um, I... I talk to, to young people, even priests, um, young priests, and, you know, they, they talk about their experience with going to like a Steubenville conference or something like that. And they have this experience of the Eucharist in a very deep way. And it, and it's, it did something to them, you know, and when they opened themselves, and they encountered the Christ in that Christ in that sacrament. It really set them on a course and direction, um, you know, toward the priesthood or toward religious life or toward marriage or, you know, it just, it just, um, it's just so, I think what's more inspiring to me is to see the joy that they have, yes. you know, yes. the joy from knowing that they've encountered Christ in, in that sacrament and, uh, and that they're living in that love, in that aura 
that that flows from uh that flows from christ and that sacrament it's just uh you know, i know for me not, maybe not as you know uh uh it, it's it's happened to me but not in that way not like a ah you know like oh i mean but just in a just a deeply personal way like interiorly yeah you know um you know again it, it's the things that i'm doing now never 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 in my life would ever imagine i'd be doing um but it's all because of time i spent before christ in the eucharist uh i i cannot emphasize that enough i mean this kid here from mexico it, they said you know uh renounce jesus or die he goes my faith ain't for sale <laughs> what? right what That's that is awesome man yeah that is awesome my fa- and so they killed him man you know yeah. rather die than deny jesus beautiful I love what you're saying about, uh, you know, when we have an encounter with the Eucharist, when we have an encounter with the the faith that just absolutely sets us on fire, that is something then we want to share, you know, and as we come to the end of this document, and there's so much more that we could talk about, but, but that's what the bishops really want to leave us with. And they say in paragraph 55, we invite Catholics who have left the church or who no longer practice the faith to come home. We miss you and we love you. We pray that Jesus will draw you back to your Catholic family, his mystical body, through his Eucharistic body. Um, and then they go on to talk about how, you know, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth reminded us, quote, that the love that we celebrate in the sacrament is not something we can keep to ourselves. By its very nature, it demands to be shared with all. And that's the whole point of this document. As we've mentioned before, this is an, an act by the bishops, a work by the bishops meant to encourage us, to impel us to share the hope that we have within us as people who are gathered around the Eucharist, who, have, who love the Eucharist, who love Christ, and we then want to share and invite others to that. As the bishops say, we are not the only ones in need of the love of Christ, of the love that Christ has shown us. We are called to help the rest of the world experience it. What the world needs is God's love. It needs to encounter Christ and to believe in him. The Eucharist is thus the source and summit, not only of the church's life, but also of her mission. That's what we are sent forth to do. And so that's why I've been delighted to, to read this with you, Deacon, because we want to set people on fire for the Eucharist, not just for their own personal conversion, but to them become beacons, to become beacons who share that love and that light of Christ with others beyond your family and out in your world. So that's the goal. Amen. That's it. That's it. Well, friends, we've come to the end of our time again, and we've come to the end of this document. But we're going to come back next week and start a new conversation. This has been fabulous. You can connect with us via Facebook. We're at Living Stones Media. You can download previous episodes of the show and all the parts of this exploration of the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church at moderndayradio.com. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing? May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.